This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Each week we preview and review the big markets and business stories with Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. And it's a very good morning to you, Craig. Just about the morning, about to turn midday. Uh, less than a week to go before the election now. Um, it's been an incredible ride. And uh, this time next week, we could be sitting in this studio uh, with a, a new Prime Minister and uh, everything is going to be completely turned over and we'll be entering territory we've never been there before. What's your gut instinct with less than a week to go? I mean, my first thought is this time in a week, I'm going to be sat here with massive bags under my eyes because we'll have been uh, up all night following uh, following this through. Um, I mean, it's to be honest, I mean, the, the, the polls do suggest, even the more reliable polls do suggest that um, we're not heading for a hung parliament, we're not heading for... Uh, Jeremy Corbyn in number 10 we're heading for the Conservative majority I would also caution this by saying the polls have been wrong so much in the past it really wouldn't surprise anyone I don't think if we do head for a hung parliament but then we're not going to be sitting there with a Prime Minister we're going to be sitting there with lots of negotiations then to take place so we're going to go we're going to go for a point of hoping that we've got some certainty and some idea of what's going on but back into the depth of uncertainty again because anything can really happen during these conversations so yeah, it's going to be. Um, it's certainly going to be a really, really interesting night. And um, it, once again, it's. I find it really interesting that traders have got ahead of themselves again this week. The the pound has rallied above one thirty finally against the dollar. We've talked about this in previous podcasts. The pound was floating between one eight, one twenty eight, and one thirty uh, because it seemed that this. Um, uh, that the, the polls were reading as they were and the traders weren't getting carried away and now it's broken above 130 back towards 131 132 on the expectation that right we've got nato out of the way i.e we've got trump out of the way and the, the polls are, are good so uh, times get carried away we've done this so many times before it happened with theresa may in 2017 it happened in 2016 with the uh with the referendum um and it seems that no lessons have been learned and uh we're, the traders are now leaving themselves susceptible to being burned once again Ironically, of course, the pound over the last three years or so has uh, dropped quite markedly because it looks like we're going to leave the EU. Boris Johnson, if he wins, it means that we most probably will leave the EU. Um, So the idea that the pound has rallied because of that is almost a contradiction. But I understand why. It's because we want certainty. Well, a lot of people want certainty and we know where we're going in the future. But if... There was a hung parliament. Of course, uh, there, there are all sorts of potential repercussions, and I don't want to start scaremongering now, but there are some people who are talking about a run on the pound, some people talking about uh, whoever came in as chancellor, if it was, for instance, John McDonald, that he might introduce exchange controls to stop people uh, from taking uh, the money out of the country. Um, it's going to get very, very interesting, and it could be a bit of a roller coaster on Friday morning, uh, much like when we had the result of the referendum and Mark Carney had to uh, go in front of the cameras and say, everything is calm, uh, we're going we're gonna to make sure that everything remains as it is, don't panic. And there's going to have to be somebody who's going to have to step up to the mark should we see a change in government or should we see this sort of hiatus purgatory period where nobody knows what the hell is going on because we might have a hung parliament, there'll be the horse trading between the various uh, parties, possibly between the SNP, the Lib Dems uh, and the Labour Party, maybe even the DUP will go back into coalition with the Conservative Party. I understand you're saying... All the polls suggest that uh, Boris Johnson is more than likely to win a majority of sorts. 
but I suspect it's going to be a lot closer than the polls are suggesting at the moment because of tactical voting, uh, because people still haven't made up their mind as to who they're going to vote for. It's uh, it, you know if you follow these things and uh, you know you you know a lot of people they'll be looking at the the spreads on some of these markets and wondering uh, you know whether it goes for conservative seats all that sort of thing. Uh, it's anybody's guess as to where we're going to end up on Friday morning. It is, um, but I, I mean I think I think we we shouldn't get too hung up on uh, a hung parliament just yet because. Then all, it's all about Shouldn't the numbers. Get too the, hung up on yeah, no, I, I, yes. I saw where I went with that. Yeah. I, I, I'd gone past the point. <laughs> now of you no get return. an extra point for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I could have. Uh, I'm sure I could have come up with a witty little pun there, but we'll yeah. we'll move on. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it it'd be easy to do so, but we don't know what a hung parliament would mean simply because we, it's still all about the arithmetic. It could be a hung parliament where the Conservatives don't have a majority, but there's some Brexit seats there which could effectively lend their hand to it. You could be a hung parliament where Jeremy Corbyn isn't going to get uh, the support of a majority of parliament in any situation either. So what it would mean is we'd have to have no negotiations. I don't think we'd see that enormous knee-jerk reaction. What would happen if Corbyn uh, had uh, the SNP on board, but he was still, say, 10 seats short... And the Lib Dems said, we're, we're not going to, we, we, we're going to stick by to what we said during the election campaign. We're not going to go into a coalition with Jeremy Corbyn. We're not even going to get the Queen's speech through unless you change your leader. That's almost a sort of coup of sorts. Well, this is the thing, and I, I don't think that's something that Labour would accept. I, I think that that's where we would see ourselves heading for another election uh, at some point. Another in the first one. Quarter. I know. And Brenda another from Bristol. And, Brenda yeah, from Bristol. I mean, Not another one. Yeah. yeah, because, I mean, if they won't back Jeremy Corbyn, well, there's no way Jeremy Corbyn's going to stand down. If I mean, we saw these kind of conversations taking place uh, a couple of months ago when we were talking about a government of national unity. Could happen. And some of the uh, some of the opposition benches, some, well, some of the op- opposition parties were saying... We will not have put Jeremy Corbyn in charge of a, national, uh, a government of national unity. We want someone else. And they were saying, well, actually, no, he's the leader of the second largest party. If there's going to be this national unity government, he has to be in charge. That's the right thing to do. <laughs> so <clears throat> this idea that, uh, that, that, that that he would then step aside, um, it, it, it would be a strange one to me. And also, you could quite easily argue uh, as Labour that people, when they vote for these parties, they're voting for your leader as much as your party. So to ask the to ask the person to step aside for someone else uh, would be effectively be calling into question the, what people have actually voted for. People haven't voted for someone else to lead the Labour Party. They voted for Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party. So the reality is, to ask a leader to step aside in order to form a coalition, I don't see how that would actually function and work and be justifiable. What would be justifiable in that situation is if you can't get past the political impasse, then we'd have to be headed for uh, another election. The question is, would it come before or after a second referendum? Because um, at the moment, we're leaving on the 31st of January. Uh, that is that is the way the deal is struck. There could be turmoil in the markets, mm-hmm. couldn't there, this time uh, next week and, and for the few days after that. Um, what sort of place does Mark Carney have in all this? I mean, he's not quite <laughs> left as governor of the Bank of England, but he's almost out the door. That's going to be a surreal moment for him, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, his term currently ends on the 31st of January as well, so uh, the 1st of February is going to look very different to where we uh, where we are now. Um, in terms of what he can do, I mean, there's only so much you can do. There's a big difference between political instability and political uncertainty and something like Brexit. So he felt that he had to step in because of Brexit. If you're stepping in because you, you, you say that the markets are fearing a Jeremy Corbyn government, is that then the central bank becoming a little bit too political for people's liking? Um, it really would depend on what happens in the currency. I don't see the currency... Again, famous last words. I don't see a Brexit scenario in, with the currency unless you... Unless can I ask a question? Unless sorry, yeah, sorry to interrupt. Can I ask a question? 
we have we might have this period of purgatory uh, when we don't know who the ruling government is going to be. Uh, when it's very tight mm -hmm. between a, a coalition between, say, Tor the Tory, the Conservatives and DUP and uh, Labour, Lib Dems and the SNP, uh, who would be in control? And supposing uh, billions, if not trillions of pounds left the country, who would introduce exchange controls? Would it be the governor of the Bank of England? I mean, to be honest, I think there's a lot that people aren't sure about at this moment in time, and we're kind of hoping that we're not going to delve, have to delve deeper into the uh, into the British Constitution, as it were, to try and determine what's going to happen. Because they, that, the, there's there's a similar question that uh, there's a, people are asking as well: is what if the Conservatives win a majority, but Boris Johnson loses his seat? Yeah, who's Prime Minister? Very possible. Um, and that's because he he only had a five thousand seat majority in his uh, in his last campaign, so that throws up a lot of questions. There was uh, so there's some suggestions. I think at one point that he could effectively make himself a lord as one of his final acts as prime minister and therefore he could actually run uh, continue to, to 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 rule but he, he wouldn't he ask... wouldn't be able to sit in the house of commons of course exactly he'd have to wait for a, another seat to come along and maybe maybe one of the so one of his uh, his fellow mps well not so fellow mps at that point would have to give up a seat well there you go you take a tory safe seat you ask yeah. the tory mp to step aside uh, and then you have a quick by-election uh, where you know you're going to win like i mean it's incredible that the, the, the type of possibilities that we are talking about with regards to this election. I think with a lot of things, people are guessing, but I don't think people, a lot of people truly know what would actually come next. Um, uh, I just think I think there would be a lot of uncertainty. And yes, there would be a lot of volatility in the pound in the result in the in the event of a hung parliament. And we've got to remember not just because of what it means in terms of, yeah, I mean people were always talking about Jeremy Corbyn and the impact they could have on the pound. And Labour have said they in the past they prepared for a run on the pound uh, in the case of that potential eventuality. But uh, unless you have a Jeremy Corbyn, a, a, a Labour majority at this election, then you, I don't think you would necessarily see that kind of same reaction because any agreements between the various parties, it's not just going to be about Jeremy Corbyn's position. If the Lib Dems are coming in saying, well, we'll, back, we'll back these policies, but you've got to take these ones off the table, we don't favour nationalisation or we don't favour this. They've that, already the said other. that, haven't they? And all of a sudden you're taking this agenda. And this may be yeah. one of the reasons why they've gone for such an ambitious agenda because they know they'll never have to deliver it. They'll show what their ambition is, but they know that they'll have, never have to deliver it. Kind of the similar thing that Cameron, I think, did with the referendum in 2015. He didn't think he'd have to deliver on the referendum. That would be a negotiating tool as part of the next coalition government. But unfortunately, he had to actually, uh, for, unfortunately for him, given that it wasn't something that he was a fan of, he had to actually follow through on that. But I think the, I think Labour recognised that the chance of them getting a majority of them are, are extremely slim and therefore they can offer these bold things and then give them up at some later stage as part of some agreement while delivering on their core initiatives. And I think people will view that in the markets, even if there is a little bit of volatility in the event of the actual hung parliament itself. I guess the biggest, the, the, the other big fear from a markets perspective is not necessarily could a Jeremy Corbyn, a coalition or, or combination, if, if they don't want to call, formally call it a coalition, uh, it, rather than that, it's the it's what happens in a hung parliament if we now have two months of negotiations because the default is still no deal. So you could be in a situation where you've got the Jeremy Corbyn offering a second referendum on a deal he negotiates. You've got the Lib Dems offering to remain. You've got the the Conservative Party looking to leave on the thirty first of January with uh, the deal that Boris Johnson uh, offered, and then you've got the no deal default. Which if you haven't got a government, how do you avoid? If you haven't got a sitting government, how the uh, parliament? Then how do you actually get around that? So again, it's it's. There's, there's that factor as well that I think that markets are going to have to try and work out. So when you've got all of these moving parts, then uh, that, or what you do tend to see is huge volatility. But in terms of direction, it's anyone's guess. Crazy times. Very, very crazy times. Interesting to, times. To make it even crazier, 
You mentioned Donald Trump. Well, he could be impeached at uh, any moment now. He's come and gone. He's been to the UK. He's had the NATO conference. Of course, the Conservatives and Boris Johnson must be very, very relieved uh, that he left uh, without necessarily embarrassing the uh, current prime minister. In fact, it was a bit of a result, I think, over the course of those two or three days for Boris Johnson because he was uh, able to be photographed amongst uh, the world leaders. Uh, sometimes perhaps when he wasn't, uh, he didn't think he was being uh, filmed or photographed, yeah. and uh, well, that was that was something that uh, the Prime Minister of uh, the uh, Justin Trudeau was uh, having to deal with uh, more than Boris Johnson. But in terms of Trump being here, uh, he was fairly tight-lipped most of the time. We've got the backdrop of. Uh, the impeachment process as well. And we've got uh, these new tariffs are scheduled for the 15th of December. There have been some optimistic statements as well as far as the trade war goes. Where, where is Donald Trump as of this moment now? Yeah, I mean, I mean, as far as the impeachment goes, I, I struggle to see this going anywhere. I think this is it's going to obviously continue and it may get through the House, but it's not going to get through the Senate. You're not going to get a two thirds majority in a Republican controlled Senate unless there is uh, unless there is evidence that makes their life impossible. So I don't see that really going anywhere. This is just going to be a political sideshow. In keeping tight lips, I mean, I think the Conservative Party will have been very worried about this week uh, because uh, it, we've seen before that Trump can be quite loose-lipped and he can say things that maybe he doesn't, whether he believes it or whether it's intentional or anything like that, he, he can he can say anything. You saw it with that press famous press conference now with Theresa May that he's asked about a trade deal as the NHS Who? on the table. Yeah, Theresa and, May, oh yes. And you could see her face drop, all the blood just gush away from her face. As he said, everything's on the table, including the NHS, and she, yeah. you, the fear kicked in. Um, and I think that there was a massive worry one week before an election that there would be a similar slip-up. But instead, he um, he very much played uh, played uh, the dumb game, effectively. He was like, no, the NHS is not on the table. Why would you think that? Even if you offered me on a silver platter, it wouldn't be on the Great table. Great line. Yeah, except he'd said the opposite before. I know we're used to Trump saying the opposite, but this was yeah. clearly a very well-briefed um, uh, uh, offering from it Trump. It just shows you he can play the game when he's asked to. Yeah, and um, I think he, he kept very, very quiet and kept to his word on this one, so he, he avoided doing any damage. Of course, he didn't speak at the last press conference because he cancelled that, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that Boris Johnson was quite relieved about that because uh, you never know, it could have, it could have been the, the, the one occasion where he'd slipped. Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. So, I mean, I, like I said, I think this week, therefore, really does go down as a win for the Conservatives. They, they've got this strong lead in the polls, this 10-point lead in the polls, and Donald Trump did, didn't do anything to cause them any harm. Uh, which is what, like I say, that was the biggest risk that we were talking about uh, this time uh, last week. In terms of the trade war, it seems that things are moving along along well. We've still not got any details on where things actually stand. The difficulty that we now have is it's now the 6th on the 15th. Those next set of tariffs are due to come into force from the US, mainly on consumer goods. I don't think either side wants these ones to come in. So the question is, can they actually get these last details over the line? Or is Trump potentially going to delay the onset of tariffs saying we've made so much progress, I'm happy to push this back to February um, because he, he, I don't think he wants them imp implemented. If he implements these, this could actually kill the trade talks altogether. The last time these trade talks were going well and Donald Trump imposed tariffs back in April, that actually ended 
these talks. So I, I feel like in just over a week's time, if those are imposed, then that's basically the end of the phase one agreement for the next few months, potentially, then really uh, the the end uh, of a chance of a trade deal prior to next year, this the, the election this time next year, because Donald Trump's very much going to want to turn his attention back to more domestic matters. And what we could be facing uh, up with, and I'm, I'm sure this is what he's considering, is he could potentially be facing up against Michael Bloomberg in a presidential race. And that really would be quite fascinating. Surely... He's going to get that trade deal with China ahead of the election. I mean, that would be a major blow for him if he didn't. In fact, I mean, if they're engineering it in the correct way, the timing could be very good for him if it's signed off. Um, I mean, we're talking about the uh, new tariff schedule for the middle of December, but there's plenty of time to go. Perhaps they sign something off before the spring. No one knows this more than China, though. So if, right. if you're over China at Leverage. this point, you feel yeah. like you're in a very strong position. So whereas mm. previously you may be pushing for 150 billion of tariffs to be moved, maybe now you're saying 300. And um, maybe this is where you're starting to get a bit punchy. Cause you're like, well, you need this trade deal. You don't want to be going into this uh, without any without any agreement. You know you're on borrowed time. You're the one that will look like a failure. And we can probably take the economic consequences of carrying this on. That would suggest that a trade deal is more than likely in the short rather than the medium term. Yeah, I mean, I for for me, this this is at this moment in time. Who, I mean, who knows with these things? We are talking about Trump here, and we've seen he's incredibly unpredictable. But as far as I'm concerned, if there's not a trade deal by the fifteenth, and that could completely jeopardise a trade deal prior to this time next year, um, but we'll see what happens if they announce the delay to the tariffs. Then that that's a, that. Then maybe yeah, maybe we could be looking at spring. But there's there's so many unknowns right now, and they both sides are still saying they're optimistic. They're saying they're making good progress, and both sides still seem optimistic that this trade deal can be reached. For me, it feels like time is short, uh, and it was meant to be signed a month ago, which suggests that there's things that they're really struggling to overcome, even just as part of a phase one. But who knows? We're not in the room with these negotiations happening. We're not having conversations with the leaders that take place in the background. So we are just guessing effectively based on the headlines we do see on, of course, Trump's Twitter account. We haven't talked about oil uh, for a few weeks. Oil price is stable at the moment. And uh, there's talk of an increase uh, in the uh, output cut. Is that likely at this stage? It looks likely. I'm literally looking at the headlines now because we've got OPEC met yesterday and they agreed They agreed actually that they're going to cut it by 500,000 more barrels from 1.7 million barrel a day cut to 1.7 million, sorry, 1.2 to 1.7. So an increase of 500,000 barrels. The question was, are they going to get Russia on board? It seems like Saudi Arabia had had discussions with Russia prior to this and agreed on that kind of level. As always with these things, they're the devils in the detail. Uh, the OPEC plus, which is the OPEC nations plus Russia and a few others, are now uh, in the meeting taking place, following which we will expect an announcement. But the source, sources from that meeting seem to suggest that this has all been agreed and this is going to be announced later on today. Um, they, but the, you look at you look at oil prices right now and you're like, well, why why isn't it that we're not seeing greater moves if this is the case? If this, if this is wrapped up, why is it that uh, WTI is still below $60 and hasn't really progressed now for the last three or four weeks? Why is it Brent crude um, hasn't progressed either? And I think from many people's perspective, they're looking at it and saying, well, the devil's in the detail. Who is going to shoulder much of the burden for the extra 500,000 barrels? Is it going to be primarily Saudi Arabia because they had the most gain from this uh, price movements? Because obviously we had the Saudi Aramco float yesterday um, and this was selling off 1.5% of shares in Saudi Aramco. Uh, they raised the most money that's ever been raised in a, in, in a flotation. They surpassed Alibaba's twenty-five uh, billion to, to raise twenty-five point six billion dollars as part of this flotation to domestic buyers. So you're asking, well, Saudi Aramco has a lot. Saudi Arabia has a lot to gain 
by this output cut because if they can keep oil prices elevated, effectively rewarding those who got in on this IPO, then really, then then people may start to less question why people have got involved uh, domestically because there's obviously been reports of pressures etc. Um, on this, why and why they've floated only domestically rather than on one of the major exchanges, and maybe it will generate some interest on other exchanges over the next couple of years and investor interest because. Ultimately, the reason why we're not seeing this on the London Stock Exchange right now or the New York Stock Exchange is because investors are very skeptical about the price. And now Saudi Arabia has got to really justify that price. Best way to do that is with a short term uh, production cut, which keeps prices elevated and rewards people who got in at the early stages and encourages people to come in later. Because ultimately, that one point seven trillion dollar price tag of Saudi Arabia is extremely steep, even if they are going to be the world's highest revenue generating uh, and profit making company uh, following this flotation. but like I say, we needed Rush on board and the devil's in the detail. There's a lot of scepticism, which is why I don't think we've seen too great a move in oil prices about not just how much Saudi Arabia is going to have to shoulder of this, but also then compliance. It's always about compliance. Russia can sit there and say, we'll take 100,000 barrels a day offline, but how long is it going to take them to do it? And will they actually ever deliver on that? Do we have to wait and see for that? And that can take up to six months or so. So, yeah, like I say, we'll, we'll wait and see, but it seems traders aren't getting too carried away at this moment. Let's uh, briefly look ahead to next week, Uh, not the election, but the central banks. Uh, We've got uh, announcements from the Fed and the ECB. Anything particular we should look out for? So the the ECB obviously is Christine Lagarde's first meeting in charge. So that's probably the most noteworthy uh, aspect of that. That's her first meet, meeting as head. Um, so people obviously just want to see what, how she's bedding in and probably want to get an idea of on how she could, wants to continue to lead. It's too, coming too soon after they announced that massive stimulus package at Mario Draghi's uh, penultimate meeting. So I don't think we're expecting any fresh announcements uh, but that doesn't mean that people aren't going to be interested in what she's got to say and what her plans are potentially what she thinks is going to be necessary heading into 2020 uh, the Fed on Wednesday we're expecting no change there's a 0% chance for change according to uh, Reuters at this moment in time um, in, in fact it's yeah 98% chance so we're not going to see a change here um, and I think most people are expecting the central bank really now to remain on hold at least until the middle of next year following after cutting interest rates on three consecutive occasions but as we know these a lot that can change and depending on how these trade talks go depending on how the the economy responds how much more protectionism we see how brexit pans out etc there's a lot that can change over the next few months which will change people's perceptions in the market so i expect a kind of wait and see type approach from the fed and uh, i expect very little from the ecb i think all the attention next week is going to be on two things trade war and of course our little domestic election before uh, we let you go i'm going to have to ask for your uh, prediction time i'm afraid and uh, of course it, uh, the good thing about that is when you get it wrong I can always... You'll, you know, you'll always forget about it and not remind me. I'll, I'll, I'll play it back to you and then we can all have a good laugh. So, the general election, what... what you, can, you can give me a broad, a, a broad idea as to where you think it's going to go. So, I think it is probably going to be the expected... For once, I think it's probably going to be a conservative majority. I, I, I'm not gonna. I, I mean, I'm covering all base here. I won't be surprised by a hung parliament. Sorry, I no, think, no, no, think, Craig, um, you're sitting on the fence. No, I, I, more I think than I, anybody. I think it's going to be a conservative majority um, by I, by what? 
Yeah, I think it's going to be a slim, a slim majority, just enough to get him over the line. And the difference that he's got from last time is that he's going to have MPs, all of whom back his deal. So that this is where it very much differs from before. So that will get him the numbers to get his deal over the line at the end of January. So I think he'll just about get those numbers. But I think he'll, he's probably going to have performed less well because of his antics over the last couple of weeks. I, 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 I think a lot that I think we're in a situation right now and he's very fortunate with this situation where no one no, I think very few people truly back um back either leader I think there's far more people in this country right now who just dislike one of them more than the other uh, and therefore that that that, that that's going to work in I think in, in Boris's favor and secure him that majority because people say that they can't vote for someone else um because I think his behavior over the last couple of weeks has and I know we've discussed this a lot between the two of us I think his behavior over the last couple of weeks has been disgusting I think it's been cowardly I think he's not shown the strong leadership which he is trying to convince us he's taking into trade talks with the US into discussions with China, into discussions uh, with Vladimir Putin. This is not the strong character that we want, a guy who's too scared to face Andrew Neil. I know we said it's a political calculation, etc. But you've got, you're trying to convince people that you are strong and you're willing to stand up to these massive superpowers and these very strong characters. I think he's, um, I, I think he's really um, let himself down. Uh, over the last couple of weeks but I think from his perspective it's a gamble worth paying off because I think the, pe the people who may feel let down by him still won't uh, in the bulk case and I think the, the calculation has been done that they still won't vote for Labour and therefore he'll be safe and it's, as you've said, as we've both said it'll be seen to be less damaging to look like a coward than it will to uh, look um, weak and vulnerable because you're faced with some tough questions that you'd rather not face My prediction, are you interested at all? Um, go on, let's have your prediction I believe we're going to be exactly where we were, or more or less, when Theresa May sort of lost and won the election in 2017. I think it may be that the Tories have to go into another coalition with the DUP. There's only one big problem with that, you know, right? And that's the DUP will never back Boris's deal. Even well, with a billion pounds. they have to renegotiate pounds. it then, won't they? So we're back to renegotiations, yeah. extensions, which means Boris is breaking his first pledge yeah. uh, as Conservative leader, which is there will be no extension past 31st, and this is the deal. This wonderful, extravagant, fantastic God. deal. Sounds like a nightmare. And then we're back to the negotiating table. I, uh, I'm, I'm... It's possible. I mean, you might have to go and... Listen, if, if rather than not be in government, they might have to, well... You know, get on with it and do it. Go into a coalition again. There's the other thing as well. I mean, we've seen that Corbyn saying that he will, he would rule as a minority government. Um, well, you it, have to you have to get the policies through the Queen's speech to do that. Yeah. So um, again, we don't even know if that's going to happen. It depends what will. It's it, it's going to be it's going to be a roller coaster ride, is, I think, because he may be able to secure certain votes. Who knows? Well, um, it's it's going to be a wild ride. It's... For those people interested in this sort of stuff, it is going to be absolutely fascinating. And uh, we hope uh, that we're all back next week. And uh, um, I've no idea where we're going to be. You're certainly going to be extremely tired. Coffee. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and yeah. get a lot of rest this week. And a lot of coffee. Yeah. Craig, thanks very much indeed. Thank you.
was the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.